1: What in the world is going on with banks? The bank, formerly known as Credit Suisse, has been in the news for years about their financial trouble, and then we had America's 20th largest bank fail in mid-March. What is the future of banking? Should we be greedy when everybody else is fearful? Should we be buying bank stocks right now? Or is this a falling knife situation and there could be much, much more price falling to come? Today, we're going to listen to a few experts. We're going to see if we can figure out what the heck is going on in banking world. Are we headed for another financial crisis, or is this an opportunity to buy? You're listening to My Millennial Investor, the show where I search the financial world for the most up-to-date investment ideas, market trends, and income streams, so you don't have to. I'm your host, Nick Bradley. Let's get into it. Before we get into the bank failures, and we we are going to talk about how the banks failed and what exactly happened and why that may be different from what is going on uh, in 2008. But we need to hear about some experts first. Let's listen into to our first experts. This is a podcast from a group of, surely, some of the smartest men in the room. Let's give a listen about what are interest rates. How about these rising interest rates?
0: It's crazy. It's making it tough for people to buy houses? Well, yeah. Well, it's always confusing to me because if the interest rates are rising, but it's tougher to buy a house, does that mean that so many people are more interested in a house? And so that's why it's harder to buy a house? How do they even determine interest rates? Like, how many people are interested? I think the Fed does it, right? Yeah. Do they do a survey? They don't ask. They just tell us what's up. I've never been asked.
1: No, I wouldn't even know what to say. I'd be super confused. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be super confused. Yeah, it is the Fed Reserve and the central banks around the world that set interest rates. No, they're not taking a survey. No, they're not. Asking us as the consumer what we want interest rates to be. I like how they said, it's like when people are interested in buying a house. Okay, those weren't experts, but that was a pretty funny clip that I saw this week and I wanted to share. With the quickest rate hikes in modern day history, things are starting to break. And we're mainly seeing these types of breaks happening in the banking sector. As far back as October 2022, it was stated in multiple reports that Credit Suisse was in trouble. They were planning to overhaul their entire investment banking operations. They had talked about splitting the bank into separate different units, including one that would be used to like offload some of their poor, riskier garbage assets. And basically, for the entire 2022 Credit Suisse, a Swiss bank, if you didn't know, had been in the news because they were in some capital trouble. Capital trouble just means that their stock had lost so much value and they were losing billions of dollars in bad investments that things were getting so tight on their balance sheet that they were getting into trouble with the regulators at the EU. Let's go over a quick timeline of the Credit Suisse collapse. As far back as 2009, they were fined $536 million for bypassing U.S. sanctions. Fast forward to 2014, they were fined $2.6 billion for evading U.S. taxes. 2021, they lost $5.5 billion due to risky exposure to the Archeos fund failure. In 2021, they froze $10 billion in funds due to the green sale collapse, one of their bad investments. In 2022, they pled guilty to defrauding investors over $850 million loan, and they were fined an additional $475 million. And then just a little bit of news in 2023. They delayed their annual report to address concerns about the SEC. The Saudi National Bank said they couldn't provide any financial support, even though they were one of the largest shareholders of Credit Suisse. And finally, U.S. Treasury and ECB, that's the European Union Banking Collection, announced that they are monitoring the Credit Suisse situation, saying that if they need support, they will be there to help. And as we know now, UBS was that big support. Even though, as we'll find out, the Swiss government provided billions of dollars in liquidity, it still wasn't enough to keep Credit Suisse alive. You see, to stay in good standing with bank regulators, banks need to stay above their regular required capital ratios. Otherwise, a bank could be forced a bank run and things get messy when there's a bank run. So banks need to have certain ratios set by the federal government or the EU or the Australian Regulatory Board. So they need this type of money so they can pay out dividends, they can repurchase shares and do other kind of operational moves. Well, a bank must maintain a certain amount of core capital as a percentage of their risk weighted assets. Think like loans, like they need certain loans to offset certain deposits. At the end of the second quarter, Credit Suisse actually had an extremely strong ratio, 13.5%, when regulatory requirement was only 10%. However, when a bunch of customers decide, I don't want to bank with you anymore, and they take all of their money, that ratio gets messed up pretty quick. Customers withdrew $123 with a B, Swiss francs from Credit Suisse last year, mostly in the fourth quarter. And the bank reported an actual annual net loss of 7.3 billion Swiss francs, their largest loss recorded since 2008. Then what happens? Well, the American government took over a few banks a couple weeks ago. The largest one of those banks was Silicon Valley Bank in California. And this pushed bank stocks around the globe, falling shares everywhere from London to Sydney to Singapore. Bank stocks were in trouble. And if you're already Credit Suisse and you're already in trouble, and then the whole banking sector takes a bit of a dive, you're in a lot of trouble. So Credit Suisse fell. Credit Suisse is basically no more. UBS bought out Credit Suisse over a weekend deal for $0.27 per share. That's not a lot of money. The bank started the year at $10.50 or so. By Friday's close of trade, it was $2 per share, and then UBS comes in and bails them out at 27 cents per share. Do not worry. I know you're all worried. The executives in the C-suite from Credit Suisse, they still all got their bonuses. Yes, bonuses were paid out exactly one week before the buyout. The real losers here are the average shareholders of Credit Suisse. Think about it if you were like, okay, this is a value stock. January 2023, You buy Credit Suisse, a beat down bank stock, one of the largest banks in the world. And you're like, this can't fail, right? $10 per share at the beginning of January. This is a buy. And then you see it go from 10 to 8 to 7, all the way down to 2. And then you wake up Monday morning and you're paid 27 cents per share. Yikes. I hope you guys weren't a part of that group. I hope you did not have any money in Credit Suisse. But if you did, it's going to be okay keep on keeping on. The Credit Suisse crashed and then the ultimate bailout between UBS. It eventually spilled over into other European banking shares and French shares fell and German shares fell. In fact, this morning, Deutsche Bank is in a lot of trouble. Italian and UK banks also plummeted and chief European economist Andrew Kenningham said, Credit Suisse is not just a Swiss problem. Credit Suisse is a global banking problem. So after the break, we're going to talk about What is the global banking problem? We're going to talk about the American bank, Silicon Valley Bank, which is the bank, the preferred bank for all American startup companies. When you think of Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank is where everybody put their money. How do they go from $120 per share to zero in one week? We'll talk about that right after the break. Okay, let's talk Silicon Valley Bank. What happened? How does the twentieth largest bank in America go kaput in one week? When you think of the word bank run, you probably think of like the nineteen thirties, or there was a savings and loan crisis in the seventies in America. Some people, when I was talking to them, they they said it reminded them of the Mary Poppins movie, and I actually thought about um, gosh, what's the movie I'm blinking now? Uh, A Wonderful Life. A Wonderful Life. You see a lot of like people trying to get their deposits out. famous Christmas movie, but you don't think of like a bank run where people are literally going to a bank, trying to get their cash from your local depositor, like your local bank down the road. But that is exactly what happened in Silicon Bank. Typically, a bank takes your money and they give you a measly, no nothing interest rate, right? So you give them $10,000 and they give you 0.2% interest, maybe like, you know, back in the day, a couple years ago, they then take that money and they loan it out to somebody else at 7% interest rate then they keep the margin in between those two rates. So they're paying you 0.2. They're loaning out for 7%. So they're keeping the 6.8%. Pretty good deal to be a bank. That's how the bank makes money. This particular arrangement worked out for quite a while. As long as the people in that bank pretended that their money were in the vault behind the door, behind the bank manager, the system worked out. Truth is, if you go to a bank and you want to rob that bank, you might get like $20,000. Most banks have literally almost no cash on hand. If you try to go take out more than $10,000, they look at you like you're a criminal. Like, what are you doing trying to take your money out of our bank? In March 2023, a few venture capitalists in Silicon Valley got word that, um, it didn't look so great over at Silicon Valley Bank. And since all of these venture capitalists had their clients' money at SVB, they got a little worried. A few of the VC firms started calling their clients saying, hey, you need to get your money out. I'm a little worried. I know I've been with these guys for a long time. Get your money out. And then a couple of the guys actually tweeted about the possibility of SVB being in trouble. Well, when you're a big venture capitalist firm and people follow you, you know, a couple hundred thousand people follow you on Twitter. And you say this bank might be in trouble when Credit Suisse is already in the news. When Signature Bank, one of America's crypto banks, has already fallen apart, people get nervous. Well, these nerves led to a bank run, and people were literally calling and trying to get wires sent out. They were going to the bank trying to get cash out, and the whole thing fell apart. Then people picked up on Twitter, people smarter than me, (laughs) not myself, but people smarter than me saw that, hey, this, this is a stock at $120 per share, and people started shorting the stock hearing that there was bank troubles. And within one week, Silicon Valley Bank was worth billions of dollars, $120 per share, closed the week at $0. Unlike the 2008 financial crisis, these were not bad loans. These were not crazy bad deals the bank was just overlooking. They weren't giving women of poor respite five loans on one house. They just made some bad interest decisions. And that's a little bit of the worry, right? These are supposedly people that know the banking system. They did not have enough loans out. Like they, This bank primarily just took in deposits. They didn't loan the money back out to make money. But they needed somehow to pay their clients the interest, or else the clients would take their money and then go deposit it at a different bank. So they took the money, billions and billions and billions of dollars, and they put it in 10-year bonds. Now, a 10-year bond, typically you get the lock, you know, you're locking in that rate for 10 years, obviously. And when they did it, they were getting 1.5% interest. They were only paying their clients like 0.1, 0.2% interest, so it was working out. Well, then the American Federal Reserve came in. They started raising rates quicker than anyone had raised rates since 1970. Now they needed to give their clients three, four, four and a half percent to keep them happy and to keep them at their bank. Problem is they're only getting 1.5% on this money. So now they're losing 3% on every dollar they have invested with their clients' deposits. Not exactly a great return. So clients get wind of this. Clients say, hey, we're going to move our money to a different bank. We've got millions of dollars with your bank, and you're only giving us 0.2% interest when everybody else is going to give us 3% or 4% interest. So they sold their bonds. If you don't know how the bond market works... As yields go up, the price of those already purchased bonds goes down. So in order to get enough liquidity to sell enough of the bonds that they had invested at 1.5%, they had to take a 33 to 40% loss on those bonds, losing billions of dollars in the process. The venture capitalists then pick up on this of, ooh, this isn't good. They see SVB might be in trouble, and bingo, bingo, bongo, the bank fails in one week. It's crazy stuff. In America, most banks have $250,000 of insurance on your deposits called FDIC insurance. But imagine, some of these venture capitalist firms had millions and millions of dollars that they weren't sure that was going to be covered. Money that no longer existed. The bank is gone. So over the weekend of March 10th and 11th, the FDIC stated that in fact, yes, they would make all the customers at SVB 100% whole. That the people wouldn't lose their money even if the bank failed. Well, that's caused other problems that we'll address maybe in another episode, but basically the Federal Reserve added $300 billion of liquidity into the market. They had been cutting liquidity. The whole goal for the Fed this year has been to cut liquidity. They had gotten their balance sheet down $600 billion from January to March. And in one week, they erased half of that and put $300 billion back in. It's a tough job. So what are do we doing now? The FDIC is just throwing money around. The Fed's printing money. Credit Suisse is now UBS. Silicon Valley Bank is out. Deutsche Bank is in trouble. What do we do as retail investors? Is this a good time to buy? Banks are down 20 and 30%. That seems like a good value buy. The problem with value buys is when everything's out of value, it's the scariest time to buy. Should we be looking at buying bank stocks? Are they quote-unquote on sale, or are we in for a huge fall like we had in 2008? Well, according to Steve Eisman, Steve Eisman was a guy that was made famous by one of my favorite movies called The Big Short. And he made money shorting the 2008 mortgage crisis. Steve, who has been interviewed by one of the money shows in America, said this. Let's listen to this clip from CNBC. Steve has just asked the question, is this over? Talking about the banking problems. Is this over? Sure, love having you on.
0: Is this over? I mean, first of all, let me, let me, uh, Take a step back for a second. Um, you know, people use throw the word crisis around all the time. Here, this is not nobody the same more level. so than the
1: media. I admit it. We love that yes. word.
0: We love that word. You love the word, but this is not even close to the same magnitude of two thousand and eight. Not even close. You know, back then you were dealing with the largest banks in the country, and if they had failed, the economy would have crashed. This is a situation that is really confined to a bunch of regional banks who have very concentrated deposit relationships that are mostly above the $250,000 limit. And they've made some very bad bets on on treasuries where they have big losses. That's the story. You know, do I think this is going to spread to every regional bank in the country? I really don't. I think it's going to be concentrated in these banks that have the same type of characteristics or similar type of characteristics as Silicon Valley.
1: So, is it over? Is this 2008? He says, no, it's not 2008. 2008 was Morgan Stanley. 2008 was Wachovia. 2008 was Goldman Sachs. So it's not those big banks. In 2008, 25 banks with $373 billion in assets failed. 25 banks divided $373 billion over that. In 2023, there were two banks with $319 billion in assets failed. So much fewer banks are failing But the assets are pretty close. However, in 2008, you're talking about we were looking at maybe the failure of Morgan Stanley, of Goldman Sachs, of UBS. Those were trillion dollar banks, not billion, trillion dollar banks. So if those bad boys had failed, you were really looking at a bunch of trouble. So is this a problem? Yeah, this is a problem. But if you're on the sidelines, problems can be opportunities. So what does this mean for us retail investors? Technical charting gurus all last year were comparing 2008 to 2022. It looked very similar. The markets went up around the same time. And the markets went down around the same time. It looked like a little bit of a mismatch, like they were correlating very well together. And what happened towards the end of 2008? Well, a banking collapse, a banking disaster. And then stocks fell another 30 or 40%. So if you're a chart person and you're looking at charts, well, it looks like we could be in for another big, big dip. Michael Silva, who's a technical trader that I follow, pointed out a very interesting correlation on his last post. He said that the BKX, which is the U.S. index that tracks the regional banks, which Silicon Valley was a part, he showed that when BKX is around 120 per share, bad things tend to happen. You can go back on the chart, if you look up BKX, and draw a flat red line, at the $120 price. Take that price all the way back to 2008. Every time the BKX gets up to that line, bad things happen. In 2008, the line hit. Boom. You know what happened there. Financial crisis. The line hit again. December 2018. What we now know as the Christmas Eve massacre. With stocks dropping like a knife. And then March 2022. We all know the pandemic happened. The, the pandemic was something. It was a black swan event. But guess what? The BKX was up around 120. And then we have this black swan event. And guess what's happening now? Right before Silicon Valley Bank failed, the BKX was at 120. That is one of many, many indicators that can point to possible trouble in the markets ahead. So what I'm just saying is, for short-term traders, it can be an opportunity or it can be trouble. For long-term investors that have some capital on the sidelines that can dollar-cost average into that trouble, that's known as an opportunity. In actually doing the research for this particular podcast, I looked up another uh, few regional banks, and I was like, I wonder if I could short some of these regional banks with some of the trouble. <laughs> Two of the banks that I looked at shorting actually failed before I could even make a trade. So I'm, I'm not a very good trader. Don't listen to me for financial advice. Hopefully just listen to me for a little bit of entertainment. I guess what I'm saying is prepare for some ups and some downs in the market. I am going to keep, personally, dollar-cost averaging into the markets. I'm going to have some money on the side to deploy in case... You know, things get a little bit more advantageous. And if you're looking to see when a bear market might end, I know we are in a little bit of a melt-up situation, like things are looking pretty good. I mean, depending on where, what goggles you have on. If you're looking to figure out when the bear market might end, I did an episode on October 6, 2022. Give that a listen. I have some indicators of when the market might bottom. The hardest thing about being an investor, if you're trying to time the market, is when things look scariest. That's actually the best opportunity. So have your core positions be large, broad, indexed based. Keep to your plan, no matter what's going on in the markets. And if you have money on the sidelines, maybe listen to a few of the other episodes where I talk about when are good opportunities to buy into with larger capital investments. Only you can decide when to buy. I can just point out when might be a good time to buy. It's always darkest before the sun. And hopefully the sun shall rise again on the new bull market. Maybe it'll be in 2023. Who knows? That's why we keep investing. You ride the lows and you ride the highs. But as my friend Matthew McConaughey says in Days and Confused, you just got to keep on keeping on. You are listening to My Millennial Investor, the show where I search the financial world for the most up-to-date investment ideas, market trends, and income streams so you don't have to. I'm your host, Nick Bradley. We'll see you next week.
0: This podcast is produced and published by Oregon Trail Investor in the USA. All information is for entertainment purposes only. The brand My Millennial Investor is used under license.